You're listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. My name is Michael Cleary, and with me is Wade Thomas, and we're on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. If you have any questions or would like to give feedback, send us an email to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. And also, while you're on your computer or on your smartphone or whatever, um, leave us a review. Um, that that helps with uh, discoverability. So leave us a review. Five stars are great. Um, if you if you think of us in like a one star capacity, then don't don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. But if you want to leave us a five star review, uh, that'd be awesome. And we if you leave us a one star review, I will find you somewhere on the internet and leave you a one star review. Yeah, yeah, because that. Actually, that's sinful, isn't it? All right, I will do the, to you what you should have done to us. I'll find you and leave your contracting company a five-star review and a glowing Yeah, you'll, you'll repay evil with kindness. Right, it'll be like hot coals on your head. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird part. Of it. We, ought, we ought to include that. In now our... I just incentivized people leaving us one-star reviews. Okay. Oh, well. All right, so we have a five-star review uh, that... So this uh, username is Beskar Tom. I don't know if that's... It's, it's all one word, but... B-E-S-K-A-R-T-O-M. Beskartom, or is it Beskartom, or Beskartom? Beskartom sounds like a body part. Yeah, well, okay, no. so Beskartom, we'll just say that. But here's what uh, Beskartom said. This podcast is full of so much authoritative and practical advice. I appreciate how this show constantly turns to Scripture to provide context for the cultural realities we face on a day-to-day basis. The hosts let the Bible speak in an unashamed manner, the world needs more based pastors speaking truths. Kind of fitting for today's topic. I don't want to jump the gun. We'll yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, should we should we explain what based means, or just assume everybody knows what it means? I'm not 100 percent sure. I know what it means. I don't think it's I use good. it correctly all the time. Whatever based means, I think it's intended as a compliment. So we'll take it. Yes, I'll take um, it. So uh, we did a, a staff meeting this morning, uh, Wade and I did, and we I'm very excited about this. We were planning the King's Domain Conference, uh, which is coming up in April of this year, 2024. Um, so a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I, I imagine Wade is too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's going to be great. Uh, so a lot of these are guys that I've read or been blessed by for a number of years, particularly uh, Joe Rigney and Toby Sumter. So, I mean, I've... We met Joe at the Fight Left Feast conference. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun because I, I saw him across the... And I knew him just from mm-hmm. pictures and stuff. But I was like, well, we invited him to our conference. And he said yes, but we haven't met him. Yeah. So it's, it's like... It's a, it's a strange introduction. Hello, you've never met me before. Right. We're... We have, coming com- to our com- <laughs> we have at least one common friend who can vouch for us that we're not, you know, just some weirdos. And that's Michael Foster, who you've known for going on two decades now. Yeah, I've known um, him for a long time. So, but Joe, uh, I don't know, probably 15, 20, 15 years ago or something like that, he moderated a conversation between Doug Williams and uh, Doug Wilson and John Piper that I have rewatched, I don't know, 10 times. Like, it's just been really helpful to me the way they dealt with each other and, and the issues at hand and the way Joe kind of led that conversation. It's a really helpful matter of fact, I'll find it if you want to put it in the show notes. It was, I can't remember what the official topic was, but what it amounted to, what it ended up being was sort of about Doug's mode of ministry and his speech, like his, the way he speaks and writes particularly, uh, for, um, on his blog, blog and may blog. And then years ago for credenda agenda or whatever it was called the magazine. And it was, I think just sort of contrasting, John at no point was like 
rebuking Doug or anything. It was just a pretty frank contrast maybe between the way they speak, mm -hmm. the way they write. And um, there, there were some racial stuff got in there too about Doug's, you know, the way he views antebellum slavery and things like that. Point being, it was there were tense issues and ways that the two men were different. And Joe just really admirably led the conversation in good spots that would hmm. be beneficial. If you were a Doug Wilson guy and you were listening, you would have been blessed and challenged. And if you were a John Piper guy, you'd have been blessed and challenged. Or if you're like me and you admire both men for different things, hmm. you were blessed and challenged. And that had always just sort of, I had a category in my mind for Joe Rigney as just a good, fair-minded, serious Christian man. Yeah, reasonable guy. You know, what I find annoying about the dynamic you're just describing in between the two, if you're a John Piper guy or Doug Wilson guy, I think that there are, it's like we have different gifts. Right. Uh, God gives different gifts in the body of Christ. He's gifted some men with a John Piper sort of disposition and gift mix. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, yeah. that disposition and gift mix where very precise, very, it, it seems like he is always aiming at hitting the right note at the right volume, the right pitch. Um, so everything is the needed force properly applied. Mm -hmm. And then you have a guy like Doug Wilson who is capable of that, but... He also has this ability and willing to to use it, of of using of of pushing hard, right? Of 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 speaking in ways that arrest your attention, are memorable, and so I I think that you have some guys that I need to give this thing. I need to speak as precisely as possible to this issue, and that is good and needed. And then you have other guys that I need to speak in such a way to move the Overton window, right? That's not. I'm not necessarily exaggerating or being in, improper, but my goal in the communication is to push, to, to, to widen, broaden the range of what is considered acceptable. And so they are, they're, Wilson tends to say things that are outside the Overton window so that other people can then fill that space and have needed uh, dialogue in those areas. And I see those as both needed and good things. I appreciate Piper, DeYoung, Wilson, Rigney, all these voices. It seems as though the guys that are on the outside of the Overton window and they're trying to push there, mm -hmm. the guys, the more the precise guys, they freak out about it. Yeah, um, nobody respects Martin Luther until 500 years after he's dead. Yeah. In the moment, you know, if you Martin Luther were here right now in 2023, all the guys who, you know, act like they, they love him to death would be pulling their hair out and, you know, well, getting their be, fainting couches. They'd be like, Martin, I have concerns. Right. Um, and I, but I think it's more appropriate. Yes, exactly. And I, and I actually, if I remember right in that conversation, I know John said this at some point, but I'm almost positive it was during that conversation. John actually made the point you just made and he referred to, he was like, he used the analogy of you had John the Baptist and Jesus and John the Baptist came and he did not eat or drink. He did not. And you He's rejected him, <clears throat> but then Jesus came and he ate and drank with sinners and you rejected him. Uh, and I remember there's a sledgehammer, right? And I remember Doug then making the, or somebody making the joke. So you're saying Doug is Jesus and you're John the Baptist. <laughs> uh, but, but it was, I thought it was a fair application of something that is obviously true in scripture. Not everybody is Isaiah. Not everybody is Ezekiel. Not everybody is Daniel. Peter mm -hmm. wasn't John and John wasn't Paul. And God does not seem ashamed of having different modes of speech or gifts for differing men and women but we do, or at least a certain subset of us yeah. do. We, we seem to think, oh my goodness, the guy who... So it'll be good to have, I think, segue back to the conference, I think we have 
different gifts represented in the conference. So yeah, you have sure. Shane Morris, who, from what I can tell, I've listened to his stuff with the Colson Center, and I, and I follow him on Twitter. Uh, he can be very precise and very thoughtful and very deliberate. He's certainly not afraid of saying things that you know that can make people light their hair on fire. But I think on the whole, he seems to be a pretty deliberate guy. And then you've got Toby Sumter and Michael Foster, who will be here, who <laughs> – they they have no they'll they'll throw the ball seventy yards down the field and just hope some you know they're like Jay Cutler or uh, uh, Josh Allen you know they, they can be precision passers but they're also perfectly fine just heaving yeah, it up let's and just see if it. somebody catches somebody it. will bring it down so I think that'll be if most conferences I have been at uh, Christian conferences lean more heavily one mode or the yeah. other and I think we've got a good mix of those guys. Everybody agrees on the primary issues at hand, gendered virtue, mm -hmm. what men are and what women are, what God made them to do and, and be. But they have different ways of speaking and different emphases. Yeah. So I think if you come, you'll get you'll get all your vitamins. It's a multivitamin conference. Ooh, multivitamin yeah. conference. That yeah. that should be in our branding on the t-shirt. All right. A multivitamin conference. Oh, so it's it's the King's Domain Conference. We did it last year. Um, I was it was very encouraging. We uh, had a great time. Uh, this is the second one. We we want this to be annual. Um, you know, you've heard the names Toby Sumter, Joe Rigney, Michael Foster, Shane Morris. Matt McBee, mm -hmm. he's a local pastor in Dayton, Ohio. So he's a good friend of ours. He's up the road from us. Excellent, and, man. Yeah, and and me, Michael Clary, we are, there are six speakers. It's April 18 to 20 of 2024, and it's here in Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's not a huge conference. So there's not like thousands of people. Our church building, um, you know, we there's room for 200 right. uh, people in our sanctuary. And that, so it's going to be a small conference with some names of significance that I think are real players mm -hmm. in the modern discourse. So you get a chance to interact with, meet, and talk to other people, network with like-minded uh, men and women. And, and speaking of men and women, this is not a pastor's conference, so yeah. it's gendered virtue, and we want this to be edifying to men and women who are there. We want to promote biblical godly households, mm -hmm. men and women who are establishing the, uh, their own households, taking dominion for the glory of God, but we're doing it in a cultural context that is now running in the opposite direction, trying to oppose the very thing that we're trying to promote. It hates what we love. There you go. It hates what we love. And so we want to say, hey, this is what we love, and the world can hate it all at once. We're going to love what God loves. Mm -hmm. This conference will equip men and women, um, but I think there's some there'll be some theological depth. Uh, a real, I, I mean, I can't wait. I'm, yeah. I'm just I want to I want to hear from these other these other men and learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, but it will be a very edifying conference for men and women. Good theology, but there will also be great networking opportunities, and I think you'll come away with practical tools, things that you can do that you can apply. So I, I mean, that's what's in your book. So Michael is doing the the intro. Or the plan right now is for you to do the intro talk, and uh, your book kind of launched the idea for the conference, and your book is filled with practical stuff. So I would, yeah. I would imagine, and keep in mind, listener, you come to this thing, the odds are you're going to get to talk to Michael too. So if you've read God's Good Design, look, Michael will be happy to talk to you, and he's, you know, he's raised now four children. Uh, yeah. On the back nine, at least, with the, the younger ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think... If you're 23, 25, 27, and you either just got married or are trying to get married, or even if you're a little older but you you got younger kids, this thing will benefit you immensely practically from the talks, but also from being able to yeah. to really converse with people who've done it, Christians you respect who've done it. Yeah. So um, 
if, if, uh, if any of this interests you, go to uh, website. We'll have it in the show notes, mm-hmm. but easy to remember, uh, moscomood.com. Yep. Uh, Moscow is spelled like the Soviet Moscow, but moscomood.com, and that'll take you to our Eventbrite page and register. Like I said, there's seating really is limited. It's mm-hmm. not a huge conference, so you'll want to register right away. Um, and I, you know, we're promoting it heavily in our own church, so I, I expect it. I hope and expect it to fill up. So the longer you wait, the less likely they, there'll be a spot for you. So yes, yeah. Try to. Do you think Putin's going to try to buy that URL from us? I don't know. He, he may he may reach out. You know, it, it's funny because somebody in our church and we don't we ha, it's not been. Um, I think we. I think know. we know who yeah. did it, but he's not fessed up directly. But um, you know, a guy just posted in our. We have a a chat group. Some mm-hmm. of the guys in our church and a guy just posted on there. Hey, check out this. This, this website, URL, yeah. this website, and we clicked on it. It's like the website to our conference. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm glad you did that. So, but now, now he owns that Moscow mood thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, one more thing before we jump into our 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 topic for today, there's um, we got to clear something up because uh, there was something that happened. Some of you may be familiar with the haunted Cosmos guys, mm-hmm. Ogden, Utah. There's Ben Garrett, Brian Sove. Um, it's like a Christian. Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, you said Christian X-Files. Christian X-Files. So it's like, uh, uh, you know, ghost stories for reform guys mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. this. Um, so one of my, what, another guy in our church, he he posted a clip of the most recent Haunted Cosmos episode in our group chat. Um, and he says, hey, Michael Clary, you got something that you need to uh, to tell us about. And so I... <laughs> so I was, I was, I mean, he curious. was deeply concerned. Yeah. Church was, discipline wheels were in motion. Yeah. He was, he was really concerned. So, so I've got this clip here saved on my phone and I'll just hold my phone up, my mic, phone up to the microphone here. And uh, we'll let you hear the clip that he was talking about and uh, see what you think. Here it goes. Michael Cleary was sentenced to 20 years in prison for manslaughter in a disturbed state of mind. I got to play that again. That's just, <laughs> that's just too funny. Michael Cleary was sentenced to 20 years in prison for manslaughter in a disturbed state of mind. That has to be one of the most epic sentences mm-hmm. I've ever heard uttered. Yeah. Um, you so should said, make that the like on the back of the book, your next book, like where they put your little bio <laughs> yeah. thing. Just that with no context, no explanation. Yeah, next I'm just to like, a smiling picture of you. Yeah, or just like... Uh, Michael, De- Michael Clary was sentenced to 20 years in prison for manslaughter mm-hmm. in a disturbed state of mind. Or better yet, no, make that like the blurb from Brian Sauvé. <laughs> like, like a- I think that was the other guy. I think that was Ben Garrett. Okay, all right. All right. But, uh, but th- that can just be, um, that could just be, this is his endorsement. Right, the, yeah. Like, I have the a Haunted Cosmos quote. endorsement. Yeah, you know, host of Haunted Cosmos. Very popular, well-known podcast. So yeah. um, now... I don't know why they're saying this about me. I've met Brian Sauvé once at a conference, but why is he? Uh, why are they accusing me of this or spreading? They have really good researchers. I guess. I mean, I thought that I thought that I'd had this dark chapter of my life safely tucked away and Expunged. hidden from view. Nobody knew it. Um, but I mean, you got to hand it to those haunted yeah. cosmos guys. I mean, they really do their research. I and, mean, we're, so. It's they're saying Cleary, right? I mean, there's not like literally oh, another. I, I thought I was like, okay, if there's literally another guy named Michael Clary who did this, then that's freaky. But I right. think they're saying Cleary. Or oh, is it Cleary or Clary? Let's see. Michael Cleary was sentenced to twenty years. I mean, to me, that sounds like. Uh, all right, I think it does. Uh, I think it is. All right. So, all joking aside, 
he's this, they're talking about a story in their show. Same guy or different guy that has not the exact same name. It's probably Cleary, C L E A R Y, mm-hmm. and my name is C L A R Y. Either way, I'm just like. That's freaky. Not many people get to hear their names spoken in such a (laughs) Yeah, so if you're listening to this, guys, free idea, you take this. Uh, you should charge on your Patreon. Hey, look, if you guys, anybody, so who, who are you talking to? You're talking to the, I'm talking to Brian Sove. Right, Brian Sove and Ben Garrett. Listen, listen up, guys. carefully. Brilliant idea for you. You, you, anybody who donates, let's say $200 to your Patreon, you will record a spooky bio that you write specifically for them. Mm. With yeah. that, that music, that haunting music you guys do and everything. Just totally fictional. Yeah, and just like just a little clip. It doesn't have to be long. Right, right. But like their two Wade minute. Thomas, yeah, their Wade Thomas stood. Yeah, you know, amidst a pool of blood. Yeah, you know, looking up to the sky, screaming. Um, yep. I ate my breakfast this morning. Right. You know, and a couple that, hundred bucks a pop. That's what yeah. We'll get you. I mean, like, I would I would shell that out. I'd, I'd write you two hundred bucks. For a, so, Brian and Ben, um, hope you guys can can cash in yeah, on this run with that genius marketing idea we gave you. Okay, so our uh, topic. This is a. a Long intro. So all right, we're on to our topic. Wade, kick it over to you to get us going. What you got? Okay, so we're going to talk about how your people need the weird stuff in the Bible, too. Unbelievers, uh, the members of your church, your children, you yourself, Christian, you need the weird stuff in the Bible, too. And we're choosing that word uh, with some intent behind it. There, there are passages of Scripture, stories within Scripture concepts within the Bible that make you uncomfortable, that you don't quite understand, or that you deep, deep down don't like, even though you know you should like it. Mm-hmm. There are things like that in the Bible, and your tendency is going to be to go around them or to explain them away, to have like a quick answer you found on the internet one day that sort of makes makes it less problematic to you, slap that on it, and then move on. And we're saying you need those parts in scripture just as you just as much as you need the parts that are and by need it's not like hey it's there we need to sort of just okay i get it it's there i can live with it but you're using the word need yeah it's food for your soul it it's on the plate in front of you that your father made for you and you need the vitamins in it just like you need the vitamins in the part of the meal that you yeah, prefer. So we've got the we've got the cross stitch verses or coffee mug verses right. that we love to go to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but you there need, are weird verses right. also that you're not going to put on your coffee mug, but you still need. God put into Scripture intentionally. He breathed them out. He inspired them in Scripture intentionally. Um, and before maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna let Michael explain sort of what prompted this, but that is let me just explain that real quick. Um, what is in Scripture was inspired by God. The, the word that Paul uses is theonoustos, theo God, noustos, breathed. God breathed the sentences and stories and stanzas and words that you find in your Bible. Yes, they've obviously been translated into a language you can read, but they are the words of God. So that that is different from, I think sometimes we can think of the Bible as a collection of books maybe even perfect books that God put together or God selected and said, okay, these 66, because they have no mistakes and they communicate faithfully, uh, they represent the Bible. Like God just sort of scoured the earth. Exactly. Like, hey, these guys got it right. Let me pick those. Exactly. And that's not how the Bible describes itself at all. The right. Bible describes itself as words that are from God's very mouth. They yeah. are 
from him. The, the authors of scripture were moved by the Holy Spirit. So let's say you've got the book of Genesis with no errors, it, which it, it doesn't, it has zero errors. And then right next to it, you've got a book written by Thomas Sowell that has no errors and says only true things. Okay, <laughs> I'm just picking a guy randomly that most of us probably like. They are not equal in authority. It's right. not simply that Genesis has no errors. It's that Genesis was breathed out by God through its human author or God using his, the human author for the equipping of his saints. Um, and so that you have to understand that, I think, to really get what we're saying. The weird parts of the Bible or the, par the parts you and I find weird, they were breathed out by God for our good and his mm -hmm. glory. We can't just overlook them. Like yeah. a geometry book is true. Yeah. So but, you could say all scripture, all things that are breathed out by God are 100% true and accurate in all that it affirms, but not all things that are 100% true and accurate in exactly. all that it affirms are God-breathed scripture. Exactly. Scripture is a totally different category of book. Exactly. And it's a category that carries with it, essential to its definition, you... The Christian it demands needs it. Something. Yes, the Christian needs it. Yes. So th that's kind of a the framework we're operating in. It's, I think it's self evidently a biblical framework. It's the way the Bible would talk about itself. What prompted this being our podcast topic today, Michael? So what prompted this is we apply what we're talking about now in the way that we do church ministry. So a lot of churches will do expository preaching, where you work through verse by verse, section by section, books of the Bible. The benefit of that is that it forces you to deal with tough texts. Yeah. Among many other benefits, you just get exposed to the whole counsel of God. But um, it, if, you're, if you're doing what the opposite would be topical preaching, if you're doing topical preaching, then you choose a topic and then you go and you cherry pick your favorite verses mm -hmm. on that topic. So let's say I'm preaching about love this week. Okay, well, here's a verse about love and it's right. all this feel good, fluffy, good stuff. It may be all true, but you're missing nutrients. Right. Um, you're only eating protein. Yes. It, it's not a balanced diet. Right. Expository preaching gives you the, uh, the exposure to the whole word of God and it forces you to deal with tough texts. And we're going through First Peter right now. I've, I've wanted to do First Peter for a long time, and um, we're now at a point to where we're able to tackle this book. But First Peter has lots of landmines in it. Yeah. Um, so some of the other nutrients in First Peter that are landmines, First um, Peter 3, yep. the, the, towards the beginning of the chapter, you've got the one of the several other places in the Bible that says the same thing, but husbands, uh, you have to love your love wives, wives, and wives, you have vessel. to submit... Yeah, yeah, the weaker vessel. But wives submit to your husbands, um, and then the, the exhortation to husbands like understanding her yeah. as the weaker vessel. Um, okay, well that offends people, that upsets people, especially because he says wives submit to your husband without a word that they may be one. So it's like he's talking to wives with unbelieving husbands, and he's saying, with your precious and gentle spirit, mm -hmm. win them over without a word. Yeah, like boy, is that offensive to twenty twenty three? Yeah, so it. So the thing is, like, the Bible is timeless and eternal because that's who the God, that's, that describes the God who wrote it. And so at any point in time that the word speaks to, it's speaking with this absolute timeless, transcendent authority. Yeah. And the parts that chafe us and make us uncomfortable and anger us and make us feel uncomfortable, those are the parts that should, that are noteworthy and right. they should stand out as something, hey, if I really hate something in the Bible... It's probably because I really need it. That's exactly right. So, 
Um, we're in chapter three. We're at the end of chapter three in First Peter, and there's a different kind of weird text that we were on, and I just preached it Sunday. So today's Tuesday. It was two days ago. Um, so, so it's a weird text, and it, it talks about um, Jesus descending, uh, the descent of Christ. Um, so it's First Peter three. I, I won't explain that here. So I preached on that, and there were to 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 provide the context mm-hmm. in explaining the text. Um, I had to pull in some weird stuff from the rest of the Bible mm-hmm. and put it all together to talk about things that are just not familiar. So Sheol, the realm of the dead. Um, and then one reference in the text is about spirits being in prison. And that's a reference to dead uh, spirits of dead Nephilim. <laughs> it, even just to say it, I kind of got to giggle mm-hmm. a little bit because I'm just like, these things are are, are just, they're they're weird to us. Um, but Nephilim who had died, their spirits kept in prison, and Jesus, on Holy Saturday, between the crucifixion and resurrection, goes and proclaims to these spirits. Peter talks about he proclaims to the spirits in prison. Um, and so I, I made the argument in my sermon that this is what he's talking about. He's going to Sheol, to the lowest part, to proclaim to spirits in prison, which are the spirits of evil, rebellious spirits who sinned in the days of Noah, who are the Nephilim. Um, his victory over the demonic or over the realm of, of, of death and hell. So with all that, there was a, I, I mean, I've talked to some, so, uh, you know, one, one guy in particular who just, who told us yesterday that he was, he felt a little uncomfortable. Um, but he's like, I trust God, but th- th- it's uncomfortable to talk about things that people may find as mm-hmm. unusual. And there was um, a, a woman who visited and she's from, for all we know, an unbeliever. Um, but the, there was a guy who invited her as a friend of hers. Um, he, so I spoke, uh, I spoke to her after the service and she was like, Oh, this is, I really enjoyed it. I was encouraged by her time here. And of course she was greeted warmly and the church is also welcoming right. and hospitable, but she, and en- she enjoyed the, uh, the time here. And she said, like, I, you, this is gave me a lot. You gave me a lot to think about in the message today. And then, you know, I've heard from her friend, who also reported that she had said something to the effect of it had given her a lot to think about. And she's, she's considering, you know, it's making, it stirred up in her heart, a sense of a need for God, spiritual desire for salvation and so forth. And so I tweeted about this, um, yesterday and, um, you never know when you tweet something, what's going to hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, uh, let me see, as of right now, it's been shared, looks like 170 times, um, lots of comments and stuff. The point that I was making in this, and it's generated a lot of chatter, is we need the weird parts of the Bible and the weird parts of the Bible because it's a divine word. It's not, it's not weird the way, you know, some, your quirky grandfather, who's like, let me tell you who really killed JFK, you know, (laughs) like it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's weird. And maybe he's right. Right. But that's, he's not authoritative, (laughs) omniscient, yeah. divine. I mean, so God, when he says something weird, he says it, when God says something we find weird, it is not only completely true and right, but it's for our good, for his glory and necessary for our sanctification. Yeah. So yeah, th- that's, so it's weird because, I mean, the weirdness is not because God is weird right. and we're normal. 
It's weird because God is ultimate. God is perfect. He is the standard from which we deviate. Right. So weirdness is either because we're deviating from his standard or we're unfamiliar with the divine. It's just, you know, it's above us and beyond us. But the weirdness is not God's problem. Right. So when we speak a divine word from Scripture about something weird, um, I, I think the the point here is that it it had a positive effect on a non-believer right. that drew her heart to Christ. And that's not because I'm a great preacher. It's because God's Word, when properly presented, is powerful. Right. Um, don't try to correct God's Word. Yeah. Don't, don't try to be God's PR guy. Yeah. And say, okay, listen, unbelievers, they, they cannot handle Genesis 6 or this weird part in 1 Peter 3 or, you know, this part about bond servants obeying their masters yeah. in Ephesians like we don't do that. Yeah. Preach all of God's word and trust God's word and God through his word to do what he can do. Yeah. It's not about you and your erudite, you know, polished speaking skills and your ability to, oh wow, okay. I never heard that novel take on this hard verse in the Bible that makes it less hard. Now I'm I'm gonna stay at this church. Yeah. If you do it that way, you're doing it sinfully. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's the 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 thing that Wade and I are addressing, and that we're, we we would critique, and our conviction is that we, you know, I'm, so speaking as God, ministers of the gospel, we have a duty for which we will answer to God, yeah, to speak plainly and directly the truth of Scripture. We minister the truth of God, the the, the gospel, and but there is this uh, approach to ministry, and we've been critical of it on this podcast, and that was the theme of our conference, King's Domain Conference yeah. last year. But it is that the winsome approach to preaching. When, when I say winsome, I don't mean kind or gentle. That's those are virtues. That's good. Winsome is a is a word that is used to describe an approach to ministry that softens the rough edges, it sands them down, it takes weird things and just sort of either dismisses them or tries to de-emphasizes them, de-emphasizes and de-mysticize. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Uh, or or de-enchant mm-hmm. because the Bible is enchanted. It's a it's a it's a book filled with spirits and and wonder and things like this. And we tend to in our Western modern minds. Uh, remove the enchantment, remove the supernatural to make it fit our categories of, uh, you know, just the way we think in terms of scientific thinking. Um, So this winsome idea, it defangs the scripture. Um, So I'll I'll read you a couple quotes here from from the tweet that I wrote. Um, Winsome ministry, it's dominant in the reformed world especially, but it has the opposite of the intended effect. It is billed, it's sold as, here's a way to reach unbelievers with the Bible. But I think it does the opposite, because the goats, meaning the unbelievers, they're coddled, and they never experience the power, the, the uh, foolproof, undiluted power of Scripture to, that would lead them to sin, or, or lead them to conviction of sin and fear of judgment, and that produces false converts. Right, um, And that can explain why so much apostasy now is going on in the world. Um, and when this is done in the pulpit, the pulpit is for the sheep. It is for the people of God to be fed and unbelievers are welcome, but it's not for them. Right. 
Um, You've but, treated every service like a birthday party. We're going to give the kids cake and ice cream every day, and here your children are malnourished right. because you're never giving them actual food. <laughs> sure, because yeah. you just want the neighbor kids to constantly come over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. It, it 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 is backwards, wrong priorities, and so the result is that the sheep are starved of biblical truth because the sermons they're hearing are focused on like kindergarten level spiritual TED talks that their pastors hope will draw in unbelievers. And so whenever preaching panders to unbelie- whenever preaching that panders to unbelievers uh, becomes an evangelistic strategy, it dictates the diet of the sheep and it starves them of biblical nutrition. Uh, so you have weak pulpits make weak churches and the, the sheep are, are left hungry and right. malnourished. And the great irony is that weak churches will actually make fewer disciples among unbelievers. Yeah. Um, so but I've got I've got a couple categories or three categories actually of weird things in the Bible that we're that we're talking about that you you'd need to lean into. But before I, I get into them, let me just explain two opposite errors that both of us want you to avoid. The first one we sort of already touched on. Um and that would be just avoiding these things altogether, or more likely in our circles, our kind of young reformed circles, slapping a Jesus is the better fill in the blank on everything, every hard passage, and just like taking this difficult story or concept or truth in the Bible and just figuring out any way you possibly can to make it um, a, 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 a shallow sort of, like this is Jesus Christ in this story right now. That's the point, the end. Mm-hmm. No, ap- the, the only application yeah. is you could never do this anyways. So Jesus did it for you. Amen. Now, is that true? Is it true that Jesus fulfills the law for you? And he absolutely, but it's not as though every single Psalm, every single verse, every single story throughout the Bible literally just does John three sixteen. It It's yeah. not that simple. It, it turn, doesn't. It turns every text into kind of a riddle. And it's like your job, if you're if you're a preacher, your job is to unlock the riddle. It's like, what's the right combination of pulleys and levers that you have to pull right. to, to unlock the answer that gets you to Jesus? It's like the scriptures are instructive. There are moral lessons in the the stories of the Bible. And I, I mean, I've, heard, I've been trained on this. I've, I've heard this for years that deliberately discourages the, the use of the Bible as moral instruction. And it's only about just point people to Jesus. So like the template would be, uh, here's some difficult command in the Bible. Point one. Point two, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Point three, Jesus did it, so believe in him. Right. Now, that there's truth there, but... You can't do... You can't do good works in and of yourself. That is true, but it's not as though all 66 books of the Bible are just simply things you can't do that then the answer is trust in Jesus who can do them for. And that's all I'm going to do. Genesis to Revelation is just constantly show you things you can't do. And the answer is Christ did them for you. That's not all of the Bible points to Christ. All of the Bible glorifies Christ. All of the Bible foreshadows or magnifies Christ. That is true, but it does not do it identically in identical fashions. It's it's not doing it constantly the same way. So when the Bible, I'll give you an example. There are Psalms that glory in God's judgment of the wicked man, that it's going to condemn the wicked man. And the psalmist is delighting in that. Hmm. Now it that that psalm exists 
in a world in which Christ is triumphant and anyone who repents in him will inherit the heavens and the earth with him. And that is good news. But that's not the only thing that Psalm is communicating. Mm -hmm. That Psalm is saying, Christian, you have a right to rejoice in the downfall of the wicked. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's an example of what I'm saying. You can't be so afraid of that. That well, let me just figure out a way to make Psalm 37 just be John 3:16. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's sorry. That's one one ditch, one error. Yeah. Oh, oh, this one, ahead, there's a ahead. quick example. A few months back, um, we had a during we're doing our church services. The that we have a man who will uh, read a psalm and pray before the preaching of the word. And it's always a psalm, uh, most almost always a psalm. And he read Psalm 139 um, a few few months ago. And I remember the way I felt when he read it. And the way I felt it convicted me because I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I f- it felt weird and it stood out. And I also didn't like it because of how I think other people would receive it. And I was worried that, oh, they're not going to like the church now. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, here's what he read. And this is God's inspired holy word. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 19. And he, <laughs> uh, he read it with, he didn't, he didn't hold he back. He was not embarrassed. He was, he not, was embarrassed. not embarrassed of God. So he read it this way. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. And he goes on. Uh, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. He read this in our worship gathering to a room full of people without apology. Now, in in a lot of reformed, uh, light reform, lightly reformed kind mm-hmm. of churches, they they would immediately qualify it. Right now, God doesn't mean hatred. It means, and, and there would be some kind of way to make the Bible say something other than what it says, and you lose the force, the, like the sharpness of the blade that right. is cutting something and the way you feel um, minimizes it. So. So, so what we're saying is uh, the er- one of these two errors that you should avoid like the plague is the error to turn everything in the Bible into only one species of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not. The Bible is written the way it's written by God's wisdom. All of it points to Christ. It does not point to Christ identically. It does not point to Christ in the exact same way. Let Psalm 37 be Psalm 37. Let Psalm 139 be Psalm 139. And let them all magnify and glorify Christ, but some of them are going to glorify and magnify Christ in ways that make you uncomfortable, yeah. like the eternal conscious punishment of the wicked. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. The The opposite error, probably less common, but I've, I have seen it. I mean, I've seen it in just recent times, uh, would be to kind of do the opposite, find some obscure novel thing in the text and just hammer that constantly. Like you're obsessed with the Nephilim and you're going to make everything the Nephilim or you're obsessed with the punishment of the wicked or you're obsessed with, and, or, you know, just find some, some, some thing that sort of separates your brand of Christianity Mm, and really just kind of don't do that either. Let the Bible be the Bible. And in this sense, I would, I don't mean, I don't mean boring in a negative way, but you really should be a little boring in the sense that you're doing what Christians have always done and will always do. God's book has not changed. The way we apply it changes, the context changes, but preach a sermon that with a few tweaks could have been preached in 1720 (laughs) or the middle ages 
or 500 years from now if the Lord tarries. You know, I mean, it's the same book. God doesn't need you to find some cute tweak on it. Um, So those would be sort of the two errors we'd advocate against. Hmm. All right, let's dive into three different kinds of weird things we're talking about. Uh, I'll give all three of them to you, and then we'll break them apart. First one is strange or irregular events, strange or irregular historical events described in the scriptures that make you uncomfortable and that you're unfamiliar with. Do not skirt them, lean into them. Second one that we'll get to is unfamiliar concepts or practices. And then the third category is truths that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable to you. So let's let's camp out on the first one for a minute. Don't be afraid of strange or irregular events in scripture. You need those things too. So can you start with Nephilim? Because I know... I mean, you are one, first of all. <laughs> you're six foot four. I'm six foot four. I'm just kidding. Um, you're not an actual Nephilim. But wait, can you explain yeah, anything? Yeah, okay. I, I can do it briefly. Um, just it, it's, it's important in the Bible. So there's some things that um, are maybe not as central to the thematic elements of the Bible. Right. Um, but the thing about the Nephilim what I've discovered is that it is more central than I have realized at first. It was just this bizarre oddity, and that just was my own ignorance that concluded that. As uh, And we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast before, so I won't belabor it, but what I have discovered since then is that the uh, the Nephilim uh, phenomenon, the, the existence of the Nephilim, they feature more prominently in the biblical storyline. So they appear in Genesis 6 initially, that's the origin story. And then the conquest of Canaan, the book of Joshua, is like a Nephilim uh, elimination uh, story. So if you know like some atheist professor that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, God commanded the rape and pillage and totally plunder and destroy, it's like that was not indiscriminate of just every person. It's like God was commanding a specific tribes to be eliminated because they're descended from the Nephilim, and there's a there's a unique judgment that he enacted through Israel in those cases. And then uh, David and Goliath, Goliath was a Nephilim, and then whenever Christ died on the cross, it was a victory, not merely, it, it was a victory over sin, but not merely to forgive us for sin, but there was a, there were other things in the scope of the, the gospel story, and that was crushing evil powers, evil spirits. So the Nephilim is a, is a big uh, thread running through the Bible, and it, it meets ultimate defeat in, in Jesus. So that's, it's, it's important. Okay. So that's, that's an example of where you encountered something in Scripture, you were not sure what to do with it, and over time, study and devotion to God's Word eventually led yeah. you to it. I did not know what those things meant five years ago. Yeah. And it was discovering the work of Michael Heiser, and then that set me on, uh, you know, down down a rabbit hole. Right. But it was it was, I've been a pastor of this church for fifteen years, and ten of them, uh, there were there were parts of the Bible that were weird, and I didn't understand. But you have to you have to be willing to press in. Mm-hmm. And there there's room for disagreement. So with these weird things that are mentioned only several times in scripture, mm-hmm. there is room for disagreement on what exactly may be happening in some of these historical events. But the point is they're in scripture for your good. They do mean something and don't run away from them. And I think the closer to the center they are of God's purposes in his word, 
the less room for disagreement there'll be. So God's yeah. conquest over evil spirits, that there are real personified spiritual beings that he is victorious over in Christ, that I think, you can't deny it. Yeah. How tall were Nephilim? Exactly. How many of them were in Canaan? What? What exactly? Does it yeah. mean giant or classifications it, right. of them? I think you know there we can. But even there, where there's room for disagreement, don't be afraid of it. Don't let the fact that it's not a hundred percent clear make you go, well, it doesn't really matter then, or I should just stay away from it then because I'm not a Bible scholar. Mm. No, 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 no. This is your book. This is your inheritance. Saint. Yeah. God wrote it for your good. There are things that matter that you can fully treat it like it matters to you and is important that need not be points of division or fellowship That's right. when 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 they are legitimately debatable. Like that. things about the Nephilim, I understand why those are legitimately debatable, even though I think I hold my I hold my view very firmly because I've been convinced of it and I've studied it. But I know other people Right. And of course I'm more gracious because I know I'm late to I'm a late right. arrival right. to the to this. So that's that's a great that's a good uh, example from your own life of how to do this too. I think so. Thanks for the biographical detail there. Um, the witch of Endor is another one I'll, I'll just mention briefly. So there are people who are like, so I don't understand. Can maybe I should tell you the story in case you don't know. So Saul uh, is running. Uh, he, he's at the end of his rope after not being able to kill David, basically, and he goes to this witch in his kingdom. He had he had arranged for all the witches to be put to death or sent out of his kingdom. He goes to this witch. He asks her to call up Samuel without telling her who she is or who he is. Samuel gets called up from Sheol, from the realm of the dead. I do think it's interesting. The witch sort of is a surprised, <laughs> which tells me this was a shell game for her whole career. Like she was never actually calling up dead people because she's like, oh, I got it work this one time. Um, that's how it seems to me anyways. But regardless, Samuel does show up. The Bible's pretty, I don't think there's any room for disagreement there. It's actually Samuel. I think so too. And yeah. so Samuel says, you're going to be with me. There's there's lots of complications there. Why does he tell Saul, who I think most of us would think is in hell? I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see Saul as a regenerate Christian. He's persecuting God's anointed. So why does Samuel, who is ob obviously an elect, you know, saint, why does Samuel tell Saul, you and your sons will be with me, you know, when you die? So that's kind of a weird part, um, which I, th I think you s is sort of connected to the text you preached. Uh, but then there's also, she's able to just call a dead person who is with the Lord? That's How weird. does that work? That's weird. <laughs> My point is not to try to give you an answer on all of that, but don't run away from it. Yep. Don't run away from that kind of text. Another example, uh, the sacrifice of Isaac. I had a, a Christian buddy the other day tell me his son... Uh, cried when they mm. got to this passage. And this guy's a young Christian, wonderful man. I mean, a top-notch guy. Um, but his son, who I think he he hopes and believes is himself, little boy, is already a Christian too, cried when he got to this passage. And he, the, the father who's newer to the faith, didn't really know how to deal with that, what to tell his son. But his son was troubled by the fact that Yahweh, the Lord, would mm. tell a father to sacrifice his son. Yeah. I've, I've preached that text before. And when I preached it, um, I got I got deep into the weeds of it and was able to expound it and you know make sense of it. That was, that text was in my Bible reading this morning, mm. and I still felt the discomfort. Yeah, and I'm like, it's it's just it's there. And let it be uncomfortable. Yes. Don't I, I I do think God wants us. There is a holy discomfort. Yes, and that holy discomfort is the kind that we will feel even in heaven, in the sense that we are we are not God. Yeah, it, it's the kind of discomfort that would prompt you to say, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty!" Like He is 
bigger yeah. and 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 his purposes are more are wider mm-hmm. and thicker yeah. and deeper. That view of God that you're describing there is it's like it's lost. Yes. On the modern generation, we have such a pathetic puny. Exactly. Um, barely above a superhero view of God. Right. We shrink him down to this statue that we can sort of put on our windowsill. He's got a few sweet, you know, fortune cookie kind of verses that he says over my day so that I don't have any anxiety or I can go, you know, run my 5K. And other than that, I just... He's the man upstairs. Exactly. No, he is the holy sovereign creator. And so when he commands you to sacrifice your son in the book of Genesis, you... You just walk him up to the mountain and say, yeah. the Lord will provide a sacrifice, yeah. and I don't understand him. His thoughts are not our That's thoughts. Right. His ways are not our ways. And we, I, I said, we have to reclaim a majestic, grand, huge view of, of God that is beyond us, because yeah. we just, we don't like things we can't control. And what's funny is we're willing to do that with, like, horror movies or, like, there are certain, there are certain uh fields of entertainment or thought where we almost like the idea of something we can't control, something we can't understand, something that is above or beyond us. But when it comes to Christianity, at least in 21st century American Christianity, we want sort of a neutered God who we can manipulate and just kind of, he'll do what I want him to do and no more, no less. Yeah. Um, the only other historical one I'll give is Jephthah's vow. It's a story from Judges where this this judge, this hero in the story, sacrifices his daughter. It's not 100% clear on what kind of sacrifice, but it certainly appears to me to imply an actual bloodletting killing of his daughter because he had vowed to offer to God the next thing that came out of his door, and his daughter was the next thing that came out of his door. Now, I, I think... It's the the author of Judges giving you one more example of the theme of the book of Judges, or what seems to me the theme of the book of Judges, everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel, and nobody can say, I don't care if you made that vow to God, Jephthah. You don't kill your daughter. That's what it seems to me. But I I don't know that for sure, and it's an uncomfortable story. Yeah. Um, Book of Judges has all kinds of things like that. It absolutely does. It's like an upside-down world. You got a a, uh, Levite, if I remember right, cutting up his concubines and sending her to the 12 tribes of Israel. so horrible. And he left her on the doorstep to be gang-raped and then cuts her up. Yeah, and then the next morning, it's like, come on, let's go. Right. I felt like it was nothing. It's... But... But you can't just run away from it. You have to read these things. They are in the scriptures for your good. Okay, so that's one category. Uh, don't shy away from strange or irregular events. Lean into them. Second category, unfamiliar concepts or practices. I've gotten here in mind at least uh, one thing that, you know, those of you who read through the Bible, have been in church any number of years, will be familiar with, and that's the cleanliness laws. And they are unfamiliar to us. We don't enforce them. We don't have them. I I don't think we need to have them. And yet here they are in our Bible for our good and God's glory. Here's two examples of these cleanliness laws that you should read and you should trust that God has in the scriptures for a reason for you. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And then just one more, chapter 15, verses 19 and 20, Um, God says this, when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening and everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she, she sits shall be unclean. 
almost said a bad word, didn't. I didn't shall sits. <laughs> um, or slow she sits. down, yeah. slow down. So obviously, as Christians, we do understand Christ fulfilled the 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 priestly law, the the law mm-hmm. of uh, these sorts of these sorts of laws have been fulfilled in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And yet they are in scripture, they're uncomfortable, we don't exactly know what to do with them, don't run away from them. Um, so you you can, we could parse what exactly is going on there with menstrual impurity or leprosy. Obviously, some of it is that God doesn't want leprosy to spread among the camp, but it's not just that simple and don't run away from these verses. Uh, and another concept or practice that I don't want you to run away from is the unfamiliar priests or uh, sacrifices and feasts in the Old Testament. So you you don't know what the grain offering is. You don't know mm-hmm. what the burnt offering is. You don't know what the feast of booths is. That's okay. Read it anyway. Yeah. Uh, th- they're in scripture for your good and his glory. And there there are those that understand these things better. Uh, there are resources that can help yes. understand them and I have found that when there's something weird and I learn more about it and I'm able, the more I understand about it, not only does it satisfy, it, it kind of, it kind of puts my heart at ease, but it, it, it almost always stirs worship. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I love seeing like, Oh God, that's why you did that. And I, I may not always get it right, but, but as this, through this process of discovery, there is a delight and a joy. It's like I'm I'm not just figuring out the riddle. That's exactly but I'm right. I'm discovering the God who 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 wrote and communicated this way. That's exactly right. And that for me, especially so re, uh, listener, if you have young kids, we read through the whole Bible in family worship in my house. We're on our I think our third trip through it. And when we go through Leviticus or parts that uh, for instance have the cleanliness codes the holiness and separateness of God always becomes something that I am in awe of, even mm-hmm. if I don't understand exactly why he had this particular discharge, spend this many days outside the camp, or what about a woman being on her period makes her unclean. I don't have an answer for that every time for my kids, but as we're reading it, almost without fail, I have this sense of God's holiness and his separateness and his calling his people into, hol- into holiness and separateness. And that, that, that emotion, that feeling is something I need, even if I don't have an answer to exactly what is going on in a particular code. That feeling of God's holiness and his commands being righteous, I need that feeling. Yeah. I need that truth. Would a God that communicated to you in ways that you understood perfectly the first time everything? Yeah. It's like, would that stir your heart to worship? No, it would uh, be that... That's Buddhism. Yeah. Know? I mean, like that, I'm Good. just going to look inward and constantly come up with my own answers and then assume that they're right. Yeah. The reality is deep down, we all know that God has to be wiser yeah. and holier. If and God is who he says he is, then we should fully expect lots of times when we don't understand him Yeah, and the way he runs the world. So don't steer away from those unfamiliar concepts or practices. And the third category, don't steer away, you need... Uh, don't steer away from because you need truths that are unfamiliar and uncomfortable. You need truths that are unfamiliar and uncomfortable. I've got two examples. One is the two natures of Christ. So you come up to the woman with the issue of blood and Jesus saying, who touched me? Hmm. And you go, well, wait a minute. John 1 tells me that Jesus is God. Did How he not can know? he not know who hmm. touched him? Um, 
let let scripture rattle you a little bit, like it did the men who uh, gathered for the Council of Chalcedon in 451. So I'm just going to read to you just a little bit of this. So it was it was commonplace in the ancient church for men to wrestle with texts of scripture and know that the scriptures must be right in whatever they say. <laughs> Our, the problem is we're having trouble understanding them and putting them together. Uh, and so the first four, what we call ecumenical church councils, virtually every Christian on earth accepts. I mean, are, largely speaking, I mean, Eastern Orthodox, yeah. Roman Catholic, Protestant, Reformed, virtually everybody accepts these four church councils. And this fourth one is the Council of Chalcedon, and it wrestled with the natures of Christ. And I'm just going to give you this this definition from 451 AD, the Council of Chalcedon. Um, Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood, like us in all respects apart from sin. I'll stop there, but basically the the Chalcedon definition is telling us Jesus has a truly human nature, a truly divine nature, and in his truly human nature, he's one person, but with these two natures that are unified hypostatically, hypostatic union refers to to hypostasis, two natures, uh, in one person. In his human nature, he can get hungry, he can sleep, he can die. In his divine nature, he never sleeps. In his divine nature, he never gets hungry. In his divine nature, he never dies. And that is men who are doing what we're advocating to you. They are wrestling with all of Scripture. Thank God they did. Exactly, because if they didn't, if they had just slapped some quick answer on it or avoided it like the plague, which we're tempted to do, we wouldn't have some of the inheritance given to us by the church, which is useful categories for truth that help us understand it. Yeah. Um, so that's one one uh, category of truths that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable that you shouldn't shy away from. Another here, and I'll I'll shut up for a second because I'm guessing you have some thoughts on this. But go ahead and do this. I have one to add. Okay, but go okay. ahead. Unsparing language about God's wrath in 2023 America. This is a problem for us, and you need to deal with it. You need to accept. So we sing psalms in our church, and some of those psalms have lines that make all of us really uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, the answer is not to figure out a way to wring out all the discomfort. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the answer is to let it be what it is. <laughs> I'm thinking about songs that are, like, there'll be like hill songs or Bethel or Elevation or whatever. They have, quote unquote, worship music, and it. I think it. they get Christians to sing it and to play along because they recognize language as being biblical. And some of the language is from the Psalms, but inevitably it's the feel-good verses. Right. Where are the feel-good verses in this Psalm when most of the feel-good Psalms even have lines, right. a couple of verses that are really uncomfortable. 23rd Psalm, you've prepared a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Yeah. So that's the most comforting Psalm we all know, right? And yes. right there he says... In front of my enemies, you prepare to take yeah. them for me. But we we avoid those, and we and we we think well, maybe reform types would say, well, you shouldn't avoid them in preaching. You got to address it. But in our music, it's like, oh, we we don't have to sing that. And if you sing them the way they're intended to be sung, they will catechize your heart. They will catechize your soul with the God who actually exists, yeah. not the God of your imagination. If all you sing is what you hear on K Love, yeah. 
we play Caleb in my car, okay? But yeah. I, I have to tell my kids pretty regularly, you're only getting one vitamin from Caleb. This is cotton candy music. Right. If, if, if you catechize your soul with the actual Psalms, then you will, you will be singing to the God who actually exists. Yeah, when you say catechize, I, I, a word on that, catechize is not merely, um, a catechism would be like question and answer. And it's not merely just information in your mind. Right. But it, a catechism of the soul is, is, is a way, uh, we use this language, Wade and I, at least at times, to talk about training desires and affections. Yeah. So it's like black coffee is an acquired taste. So you might uh, put sugar and cream in your coffee and you catechize your mouth by slowly reducing until you get to drinking black coffee. I'm, I'm not there yet. I still yeah. put cream and sugar in mine. But a catechism, it, it, it helps to cultivate a taste and a desire to where it, those things might seem harsh and the fact that the verses seem harsh means that your soul is soft and, and, and not soft in a way, um, maybe that's not the right word. Your, your soul is, is too unfamiliar right. with difficult truth that you can't take it. And it's good for us to be able to take the hard words of scripture. And so we need to catechize our desires to be like, I don't dislike God or, or, or I'm not afraid of God in an unhealthy, improper way, but by hearing things that sound weird to me, because I've been catechized, my desires, my affections, my instincts, impulses have been trained by scripture to delight in all of the, all of God's word. That's where you want to get. You want to get to the point where you worship God in such a way that yeah. you get to any part of scripture and it doesn't feel uh, you don't have to brace. It's not like, oh, I forgot that that's in there. You want to get, and it may take your whole life, Saint. Yeah, it, it's. Well, I think we'll all. Yeah, until glory, there will always be a text, a passage, something that it's like, man, that 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 bites. I want I you it. to be able to just call that a problem. That's kind of my point. Is even I don't want you to do what most of us are doing now in 21st century America Christian American Christianity where we're we're acting as though that's not a problem. We're just sort of ignoring the verse that makes us feel that way. Mm-hmm. No, deal with it and even if it still makes you uncomfortable on your deathbed. Yeah. Understand that the discomfort is your fault. It's yeah. your problem. It's not God's. It's like I I love God, I delight in God. The discomfort is my fault. Yes, and on the other side of death, I will. He this will he will resolved. have removed whatever was causing that tension. Here's just a couple of verses on God's wrath, unsparing language on God's wrath. Isaiah sixty six twenty four. This is the last verse of one of the longest books of the Bible, and it's intentional that it's placed there by God. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For there, those men. Their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And that's hmm. how God chose to end the book of the prophet Isaiah. So that's the final verse. That's the final verse of the book of Isaiah. And so it, we, it, it's, it's really uncomfortable for, we will go out and look on the dead bodies who rebelled against God, and there'll be a worm that won't die you know, leave that for the moment as far as what it means, but it means something that isn't good. Mm-hmm. It means something that isn't, you know. I'm I'm kind of laughing because there's, I can think of times when I've read the Bible and I'm getting to the end of a, of a psalm or a chapter or, or a, a letter or something, and, I'm, and you're thinking, okay, you want to land this plane the way we we would finish a sermon or a letter or a book we write. Give them some goosebumps. Yeah, and... it's like, feel this like, you know, may the God of peace bless you. Right. It's like, and there are lots of places in the Bible where it will end, and then there's a little there's a little tag that is like, yeah. one more turn of the knife. Right. And, and that I have 
I have gotten used to that and learned to see that as God's wisdom. In the flesh, it used to really... I was just like, God, why did you, you, you had every opportunity if things were going along. This is such a feel good verse. And then you had to stick this word of judgment in there. It's like, that's how I felt, you know, years and years ago, but that that's God's wisdom. We, we need exactly what God has given to us. We need to worship him, not worship our sensibilities about him. Amen. Amen. Uh, Just one last one I'll do on, on this unsparing language. Revelation two, this is from Jesus's own mouth. Revelation two and three are letters that Jesus Christ delivers to John for the seven churches. And so there are lots of words in revelation two and three from the mouth of Jesus that people who aren't familiar with them are always startled by. Yeah. Uh, here's just, just one uh, from chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, the letter to the church of Thyatira. Our Lord says, uh, behold, I will throw her, this uh, false prophetess, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Put that on your coffee mug. Exactly. And so we need to worship that Jesus. Yes. Not just the Jesus who said a few things in the Sermon on the Mount that we like. Mm Mm-hmm. We need to worship the actual Jesus who actually exists. Yeah. Um, Okay. I had one. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And and I'll... I know because of time, I'll just, I'll mention it and ask, you know, listener to just reflect on this. Um, I think another category of, um, what, what is this? The truths that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable. Yeah. Just think about how we recoil and revolt about the Bible's teaching about manhood and womanhood. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the text in Leviticus about menstrual impurity. Um, there are different rituals of cleanliness, of cleansing for mm-hmm. men and women. Yeah. Um, why? There, maybe we don't know. Um, whatever it is, the God who commanded that is a good and glorious God. He loves us. He loves men and women. But whenever we talk about the fact that men and women are different, right. are different, there are things the Bible, the Bible speaks in ways that are that make people uncomfortable. And I have seen in my own teaching, because this, this has been an emphasis in my own teaching, because I think it's really urgent, um, nothing, nothing makes people absolutely freak out like speaking the way the Bible speaks about men and women. Yeah, and, and particularly about the purity of women being something that God absolutely prizes. So yeah. the test of jealousy, for instance, where if a husband believes his wife has had committed adultery, committed sexual immorality. He may bring her to the priest, yeah. and then if her body swells up after the, the drink, bit. drink this potion, and if the body swells up, and then she will be executed for committing uh, adultery. Um, and that that passage feels to us like, well, wait a minute, where's the test for if the wife yeah. is jealous of her husband? Well, a husband will be executed, punished for sexual immorality too. That's that's in the Torah as well. But God doesn't give a test in the same way. And mm-hmm. we can argue about what's going on there, but that's just what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And we've got to deal with yeah. the fact that it means something. It means something mm-hmm. that he puts that one front and center. Yeah. Well, even in, if, if, take, the, take a modern example. Um, I, you see this play out online. Um, I've got, you know, f- some friends of mine that I follow on Twitter. When a guy says anything about modesty, yeah, anything at all, it's an eruption. Um, there was a... Uh, 
somebody, oh, it was a guy, I, I, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to say the name cause I'm not sure I'm remembering it right. A guy basically took a couple of verses from first Corinthians 11 and quoted near verbatim yeah, word for word. This, yeah. Um, a, a couple of verses about God created uh, a man and woman and so forth and just posted that, but didn't put quotes around it mm-hmm. and just kind of just let it sit. Man know. was not created for woman. Woman was created for man. Yeah. Man is the glory of God. Woman is the glory of man. Those yes. are literal words in the Bible. Yeah. Like from first Corinthians 11, literally teachings of scripture. No, that makes people feel uncomfortable. And, and uniquely women. It seems like it, it's, I think it evokes a feeling of God thinks I'm lesser than, which is not what it says, but I think the feeling, and so there's there's an absolute revolt against that teaching. And what happened on that guy's tweet right. um, was predictable. Um, accu- accusations of misogyny, you must hate your wife, you must kick puppies, whatever they might think they would say. And, and I'm like, all he did was was just cite scripture and that just shows the the condition of our souls and of our hearts around things where we need to trust God's word on these topics, uh, but but it's like we don't have the stomach for it, right? And that's why it is not a good thing that Peter in First Peter three, when he says, uh, "Even if you have an unbelieving husband, he may be one without a word." Submit to him as Sarah submitted to Abram, calling him Lord. Peter did not feel the need to go. Now, obviously, if he punches you, call the police. Yeah. And that is true. Yeah. If your husband punches yeah, you, you're you being abused. But, but it's noteworthy that Peter did not need, did not feel the need under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to rush in with tons of qualifiers. Yeah. And as a pastor, we do, as preachers of the word, we do have to apply and add. The, but that that feeling in your chest, where you say something Scripture says, and you just this tenseness, I've got to immediately find a bunch of ways that it doesn't mean exactly what you're afraid it might mean. That's a problem with us, yeah. not with God. Yeah. God, when God doesn't feel the need to immediately rush in and soften something or give all these qualifications, we should not feel that need either. Right. We can apply. Yep. We we should apply. Um, anyway, let me just give a couple of. Uh, I'm not going to unmask the sophistry in any uh, detail here, but I just want to give you two things not to do that I have done, uh, and that I think you have probably done too. Don't pit God's law against his grace. Let each do its job. And don't pit God's warnings against his comforts. Let each do its job. So he has scary warnings in his word for a reason. He has law in his word for a reason. He has grace. He has comfort in his word for a reason. Let each do its job. Don't try to make one ring the other out. Yeah. Law should not ring out grace, and grace should not ring out law. Warnings should not make comforts inapplicable, and comforts should not make warnings less scary. Yeah. I've noticed a tendency in some people, uh, a lot, most people (laughs) uh, who are undisciplined emotional thinkers, undisciplined minds, um, they, when they see attention, they, they latch onto whichever one is their preference. Yeah. So either, either it's either law or it's gospel, but we can't, we can't hold, we can't affirm both at the same time. And the Bible speaks in lots of tensions. Um, and same thing with warnings and comforts. So if you say, hey, you know, here's a warning from Scripture, and somebody, no, 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 God is all about, and then they'll mention all the comforts. Right. It's like, no, there's warning and comfort. There's law and gospel and other tensions. So, so absolutely. Um, let's just give you uh, a couple of uh, things to do here. So the first one, read the whole Bible, read it frequently, and prioritize what God prioritizes as you do so. Read the whole Bible. 
I mean, literally all 66 books. Uh, read. Here's my, here's my uh, exhortation to you, Christian. Read Genesis through Revelation, even if it takes you three years. There are three-year Bible reading plans. If you feel like one year, you can't get all of it in in one year. But read the whole thing. Read it frequently, every day. Read, read scripture every day and prioritize what God prioritizes as you do. Can you read some of that Luke 24 passage? Yeah, I'll, I'll read verse 27. I think okay. that gets the heart of what you're getting at. This is the road to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus had just resurrected, and he approaches two disciples and have a conversation. And before they recognized him, it says what Jesus did. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so the whole Old Testament, mm-hmm. he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's right. So all of Bible, uh, he he was not afraid of any of it, and he was not afraid of showing how it pointed to himself. And then secondly, Christian, pastor, do not backseat any of the attributes of God that Scripture spends significant time on. The Bible spends gallons of ink on God's holiness and his wrath. But in our day and place, in our day and place, we shortchange those attributes. In other days and places, they shortchanged his grace. That's absolutely true. That is not our day and place. If I'm looking at America mm-hmm. as a whole, not your particular church, you may be in a church that's very angry and only preaches law. And if that if that's the case, they needed the opposite admonition. Yeah. But as I look at Christianity Today and Family Christian Bookstore and K-Love and just the wide <laughs> American evangelical landscape, we're very uncomfortable with the holiness and his wrath that the Bible spends a lot of words and pages on. Yeah. There's a couple of a text in Acts chapter 20, where Paul is kind of saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. Um, Acts 20, verse 20, um, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house and so on. Yep. So he's like, the, the, the laws in Leviticus, that is profitable. It may not be equally profitable to John 3.16, but that doesn't mean that it is unprofitable. Right. So, and there's another, um, I don't know the exact reference here, but just from memory, it's like, I did not shrink from declaring to the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. Um, both things he says in that Acts chapter 20 shows Paul's heart and attitude about the scriptures, uh, which is... It's all profitable. I'm not going to shrink from declaring to the whole counsel of God right. anything that I think would be beneficial, and it, it's useful. You need to be an expert in this book if you want to be an Ephesian elder, because Paul spent all his time declaring it to you house to house without shrinking. Yeah. Can you uh, give these two exhortations here? Uh, yeah. Be, yeah. These are summary. This is summary of the things we've already said, but just to reemphasize, don't be afraid of the Bible. You need not be afraid um, because afraid is, if you're afraid of the Bible, that's an indicator of a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want to discover something. It's almost like, you know, I'm afraid of some, I'm afraid there's a bad email in my inbox, so I'm never going to read my email again. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't, we need not be afraid of what we might discover. There are things that might strike you as odd or strange, but listen, God is your father. You you know, if you're, I'm assuming you're a Christian here, you know God, right. you know your father, you know the heart of your father. Now you might discover something about him that makes you uncomfortable or queasy. And we just have to trust God, give us the heart and pray this. Give me a heart to trust you in the things that are, that are uncomfortable or unfamiliar. And I'm, I'm going to trust you and listen to the, the words that your spirit wrote and gave to me. That's right. Uh, a final exhortation, this is for pastors. Um, 
and I've, I've, uh, I've had to do this myself, don't be afraid to admit when you're ignorant or when you've been in error. Nobody knows the Bible perfectly other than the Lord himself who wrote That's it. Right. We all will, will err in some ways. And there have been times when, and, and I, the thing is, I hate this. <laughs> I don't like getting it wrong. Um, if, I, if I find it's like, you know, I, I think I missed that one. Then if you're a preacher especially, there's next time you preach, you'll have the opportunity to just say, hey, folks, as we get started here, let me, let me acknowledge, you know, a mistake I made in my, you know, interpretation last week, and here's what I think now. You always have time to do that, and that will not diminish your trust and credibility. It will increase it That's right. in, in the, in the uh, minds of your people. Yeah, and that 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 is a I give that same thing to moms and to dads too as you raise your kids. Um, don't be afraid to say I was wrong. Like I've since we since I mentioned that test for adultery, I'm like, wait a minute, does Moses say in Leviticus to execute her? Does it say that she will die from the potion? And I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh my goodness, did I get that wrong? I I don't know. I can't. I'm not going to look it up right now. But I've said that to my kids. I've said two things to my kids frequently. One, Daddy was wrong about this in the Bible, and I'm sorry. And here's where. Two, you will leave this house and end up figuring things out in the Bible that daddy was wrong about, and that's okay. Yeah. So you may end up reaching a different conclusion from dad. Not, and, I, and I separate you know, the divinity of Christ right. and things like that. We're all, you ain't going to find out that one's wrong. But there are things where daddy may, you know, eschatology or whatever, where daddy may be, and that's okay. Like God's not up there going, he's not disappointed in you because you weren't able to figure him out completely. Yeah. He knows that you're... You're a dim-witted little homo sapiens with a brain that's only so big. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to skip past logs and specs. Uh, I'll just I'll just tell you, uh, Saint, there are plenty of areas where Michael and I are each uncomfortable in the Bible. So yeah. when we, what we're trying to get you to do is to do what we hopefully do, which is just know that the problem is you. Yeah. Don't try to act like the problem. It's a step of faith. Right. And then a step of faith is I'm going to step into an unknown and believe that God will meet me there with whatever happens because God's a good God and he loves his exactly. children. Just so it is a step of faith. Yep. Trust it even when you're uncomfortable. Um, so here we'll just uh, listen question and then I'll give you some reasons for hope to send us out. Uh, we got a listener question. It is the following. Speaking from personal experience, I've had my coworkers ask me more questions about weird stuff in the Bible than traditional soteriological, meaning like salvation, uh, and mainline gospel questions. In other words, talking about demons, angels, creation, aliens, seem just to scratch a weird itch for people. How much should we go down that rabbit hole with people? I think the weird stuff can be a useful tool nowadays, but I could also see myself getting carried away with it and turning to it too frequently. So how much should we go into the, should we lean into the weird stuff as a way to kind of get people's curiosity peaked in yeah. evangelism? What say you? That's a great question. Several thoughts. Um, there, so there's discernment that you will have to exercise, and you will do so in the power of the Spirit and ask the Lord for guidance along the way. One thing to discern, first thing to discern is, is this a smokescreen um, or is this an opportunity, a legitimate open door to talk about something they have interest in, and then through that conversation and the relationship formed around it, show them, here's what you should be interested in. Right. So you heard about the Nephilim. You wonder about demons, UFOs, Bigfoot. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's grab lunch, and we'll geek out on all the blurry, weird stuff that, mm -hmm. that you've heard about. And then let me tell you about, here's something that 
that you may not be thinking about that, um, like resurrection, let's talk about, it's like the dead. That's, I don't know, whatever would be an entry point to, to help them see. It's like, here's what, here's the most important thing that we should be concerned about when it comes to supernatural realm. I would say, so that's one thing to discern is, is it a smoke screen or, um, if they're trying to deflect, then you push through. If there, if it's an opportunity, then you can do that. Um, another thing is there's going to be, you're not going to have the answer to the question and that is not a problem. You Christians yeah. are not called to be Bible experts on all topics. Um, you can share what you know, and you can also give indicators of here's my level of certainty. Um, I, you know, I, I feel pretty confident this is true, but I would love to look into that some more. And that's where, you know, God is, we have the body of Christ. Um, if you're a pastor or you have a friend that's knowledgeable, you say, hey, let's grab lunch with, with Frank and we'll, we'll talk to him. He knows all about this stuff. Or consult good resources. If you, if, if you, know, if you don't know good resources, then you probably know people who know what resources to point you yeah. to. Yep. With a little, doing a little bit of homework, putting a little effort in, you can honor your friend's uh, curiosity and, and talk to him. But, if, but if, if you're in an, a situation where you have an ongoing relationship, you can leverage that to, um, to, to, you, you don't have to, like, I have to say all the things right now. Yeah. There's a temptation as Christians to where it can be a lack of faith to think he might die tomorrow. So I got to tell him right this minute. It's like, we don't have to dump the entire load every time we talk to someone. If we trust God and say, I've got a plan and I'm going to work that plan. And I want to, with urgency, get to the gospel as quickly as I can, knowing that that's not going to be the first thing I say, or the it doesn't have to be the very first yeah. conversation. Um, so I'd say let those things, um, use those things as opportunities to bring them back to the gospel, find answers to the questions if you can, um, but and also discern your own heart. Um, you might you might be tempted to right. avoid the evangelistic conversation because you would you rather, like the X-Files yeah, stuff. <laughs> you'd rather talk about the Nephilim because the Nephilim doesn't demand anything of your friend's soul and his repentance and response. Um, and you might rather avoid that. So that, that's my thought. No, what that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, I have nothing, uh, <laughs> that that's all perfect. Here's, here's the only thing I'll say. This is from, uh, Paul in the Areopagus, Acts chapter 17, he's he's talking to a bunch of unbelievers in the philosophical capital of the ancient world, the city of Athens, and he says this, he, God, Paul says in Acts 17, 26, he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So Paul says, God determined where every nation would be and when they would exist so that men might seek their way towards God and find him. He did not put Athens where it was because the climate was great for Athenians. He put Athens where it was that they might seek after God and find him. And I would say an application of that reality is that if you sense that God has ordained this unbelieving coworker to have a fascination with Bigfoot and cryptozoology, <laughs> that he may seek after God and perhaps find him. 
What's cryptozoology? Uh, studying like, like Loch Ness Bitcoin, Monster. For no, it's like uh, studying <laughs> animals that are beasts that may or may not exist. Loch Ness Monster, Sasquatch. Uh, okay. I've not, kind of, not actually heard that cryptozoology. Cryptozoology, yeah. So Do you believe in Loch Ness? This, this, this? No, I don't. It's not It's not a big enough body of water to house something that big that we wouldn't have found yet. Okay. Um, but regardless, let's say I had a buddy at work who was interested in that kind of stuff. And I, I sensed through the Holy Spirit, I realized that the, we're Reformed guys and some of us may be uncomfortable with this language, but I just think it's patently true in Scripture. You're going to feel things that are God pointing you in a certain direction with a guy. And if you're talking to a guy and you sense God ordained he had this fascination with UFOs or the Loch Ness Monster or conspiracy theories, that he might seek God and find him, and I've got a touch point here, Yeah. then I would say employ it. But if it's that the guy may seek and find weird answers, he can just feel super intellectually superior to the mass of ignoramuses who don't really know who killed JFK. Well, then no, I wouldn't waste much time with it. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there is a mindset where people be interested in the Bible because it's another subject to master. Right. It's like I just I want to have I, I know about Hinduism and Islam. Christianity is next on the list, and they might appear as though they're interested as something they would submit their lives to when really that's just, it's just another thing they're curious about. Right. And, um, the, that's a dangerous place to be because so, yeah, they have to submit to what the Bible demands. So that's, that's the word you got to discern the kind of guy I think. All right. Three reasons for hope. And I'll send you out with some scripture. I'm just going to literally end this thing with scripture. Uh, Reason for hope, number one, many, many people are hungry for unvarnished truth, Saint. That's what prompted Michael's tweet. There was, Pastor Michael's tweet, there was a lady who was in this congregation this past Sunday who heard things that were weird from the scriptures, and they piqued curiosity. Why did they pique curiosity? Because there are people who are actually famished for true things, not yeah. just things that feel comfortable. Um Second, the good news that Scripture reveals, even in its most weird, strange, unsettling parts, the good news that it reveals about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his ascension and the fact that he saves sinners by grace through faith in him, that good news is still the power of God unto salvation, and it always will be. So even in the hardest to understand or the most uncomfortable parts of Scripture, the gospel is still God's power. Last reason for hope, we need all of Scripture in order to be complete men and women of God, and God wants to make you a complete man or woman of God. He wants you to be challenged by his word. Let me send you out with this, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you for listening to the Current Reality Podcast. Send us any feedback to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. And for more information about the King's Domain Gendered Virtue Men and Women Who Take Dominion conference in April of next year, check the link in the show notes. See you next time.